This is the Blue Bomber Podcast with CFL Hall of Famer and my broadcast partner, Doug Brown. It's like a head-on car accident. Had to piggyback him, grab onto his waist as he pulled him, kind of like a tractor pull there for a couple yards. And you can play it safe. You don't have to take these risks and just nickel and dime your way down the field. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at CJOB.com. Hey, hey, it's G-Mac and Doug Brown. It is the Blue Bomber Podcast. Thanks for making us a part of your day somewhere along the way. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for subscribing. You know, if you hit that subscribe button and you like what you hear, the podcast will show up in your inbox as soon as it's released. No waiting, no searching. They'll just be there for you. Rate us, write us a review. We love to hear what you're thinking about the Blue Bomber podcast. This week, of course, we are heading into Labor Day, the much-heated rivalry between the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. We'll talk about that. We'll look back at last week's loss for the Blue Bombers in Calgary. We will tackle the Matt Nichols controversy and the war of words between the Blue Bombers and their former superstar receiver. So why don't we do this? Let's get it going. Doug Brown, why don't we start with Matt Nichols? Their defense is the best in the league statistically. What did they do tonight, uh, Matt? Did they do anything that that you weren't expecting? No, nothing we weren't expecting. And um, uh, they just do their jobs very well. I mean, um, when they're in zone, I'm going through four and five reads and you know, finding no one open, um, yeah, they're, they're doing a good job. And, I mean, there was times where I felt like we were moving the ball well against them. We hit some stuff, and, um, you know, we just kept kind of stalling out just a little short. And, uh, um, you know, we didn't do a good enough job against some some chunk plays as an offense, which, you know, in my opinion, is not, you know, an offense in the CFL. If you don't have two or three of those in a game that flip the field, you, you know, you don't have a good chance of winning. So, um, yeah, we, we just need to find a way to – to make some of those bigger plays, and we I felt like we were right there all game. We just we just didn't quite make that that one play to, to change the game. I don't know if we can call his comments following each of those games controversial, but they've certainly been a lightning rod for the media. They've been a lightning rod for the fans, and I guess in terms of Milt Stiegel and his response, the, my question is: Should his responses? be a lightning rod to his teammates because Milt Stiegel was certainly suggesting that if he was a teammate of Matt Nichols, it would be problematic for him. But then Milt Stiegel apologized. Well, first of all, I want to say, uh, and I and I stated this earlier on another radio show, that I want to apologize to Matt Nichols. Uh, nowhere in his interview did he outright say that, you know, he was throwing his receivers under the bus. So, uh, I don't want to put words in his mouth. I want to apologize to him for that. Also, with saying that, though, uh, as a starting quarterback, as a leader of a team, I need Matt Nichols to say, take more of the blame. That's what I don't hear out of Matt Nichols. Like I say, I apologize for what I said, but I don't hear Matt Nichols, as I like to say, getting his Mo Leggett on. Mo Leggett said he played like crap. I don't ever, and if maybe he has, but I didn't hear Matt Nichols say that. I didn't hear Matt Nichols say uh, that long ball to Darvin uh, was underthrown and then the defensive back made a great play. I heard Matt Nichols say the defensive back made a great play. I didn't hear Matt Nichols say, yeah, I threw two interceptions to a, uh, a defensive lineman and the one he scored a touchdown on, would I have caught him? Uh, I don't know, but I didn't hustle. Uh, so like I say, first of all, I'm a man. I know when I'm wrong. I'm apologizing to Matt Nichols for saying that. But there are also some things 
in that interview uh, where I need Matt Nichols to own up and say, you know, I, I have to play better, my fault. As, as, as Mike Pinball Clemens used to tell his quarterbacks, say my fault. Two best words you can say, regardless of what happens, my fault. Uh, and I need to hear more of that out of Matt Nichols. So I'll repeat it a million times. I'm going to repeat it on the panel. I definitely apologize to Matt Nichols, Michael Shea, Wade Miller, Paul LaPolice, that entire organization for those words. Okay. So, you know, I mean, on big picture, winning cures and solves everything, right? You, you know, you lose two games in a row, you lose them in the fashion that the Winnipeg Blue Bombers lost them in. And these are the kind of problems, you know, things just manifest, things just erupt and become issues that otherwise you win a game, not a problem, non-issue handled internally. That was a little Mike Kelly reference, but anyways, I uh, got it. You got that. Okay. I wasn't sure if that went over your head or not. Anyways, that's just a scenario, right? So, you know, the whole thing about the comments, obviously they were taken out of context. It was nothing about, uh, our receiving core and, and their ability. And, um, I think, uh, what happened was, uh, they took a small snippet of Matt's answer and tried to run with it. And, uh, you know, it's, Frankly, it's a little embarrassing for them, I'm sure, because um, how Matt answered the question is, uh, I thought, was a perfectly good answer. I totally agree with that. He was complimenting the work of the secondary of the Calgary Stampeders. But guess what? If I'm sitting here and I'm just like, Greg Mackling is the best host I've ever worked with, by default... I'm saying Bob Irving isn't as good as you, right? I mean, that would that is the example I'm giving you, right? That is, you know, whether you say something or not, if you're praising one group, by implication only, technically the other group they're playing against can't be great. If I say, man, those are the worst offensive linemen I've ever played against, or, or let me rephrase that, that's the best offensive line I've ever played against or I've ever seen out there, then I'm saying the defensive line that was going against them, they couldn't have been very good. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, it wasn't a direct shot. Uh, it's just, you know, you can you can take that out of context and use it the way it was. But obviously, Milt Steele came back. He apologized. That was a very stand-up of him. And like I say, winning cures everything in this scenario. The one thing about Matt Nichols that we have to come to terms with, I still think it's, it's uh, way too early to have, you know, these sweeping... Uh, uh, conclusions drawn against him um, he's still got a very good overall record he's still got a good pretty good record this year as the quarterback of the football team but in a seven game sample he's played so far this year statistically now I'm not saying personally I'm saying statistically it doesn't look very good certainly doesn't look like the Matt Nichols we've seen the previous two years so what I did I went on to CFL.ca I look at the stats stats package for quarterbacks right those numbers tons of the numbers out there that are crunched digested. now you know what they say Doug what stats you know are for losers stats are for losers well we're breaking numbers down. don't lie but stats are for losers when you're losing that's when you look at stats that's why stats <laughs> for losers because you're losing you're looking at the numbers trying to find out what's going wrong so i looked at all the quarterbacks that have played a minimum of five games in the cfl this year Matt Nichols has only played seven games he hasn't even played a half a year yet okay so i looked i looked at quarterbacks played five games there's 10 of them total of 10 quarterbacks have played five games or more so far in the cfl season if you look at completion percentage okay matt nichols sitting right now at 63 percent that puts him at at eight out of ten. That's okay, not on good. completion percentage. That's that, not that, great. That, 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 that's not the top of the list. That's at <laughs> no, the bottom that's of the list. Exactly, especially since there's nine teams. 
Interception percentage. You look at interception percentage. He's sitting at 3.3% of his passes are intercepted. There's only one guy that's got a higher percentage than that, and that's James Franklin at 4.3. So he's ninth out of 10th in interception percentage. So once again, that's at the bottom part of the list. If you look at quarterback efficiency rating. Now, I'm not going to pretend to know what goes into that. Good, and please don't make me explain it. Maybe there's a factor about how nice their hair is that day. I don't know (laughs) what their efficiency rating is. Uh, Dealing with the media, maybe that's a part of it. I'm not sure. Only Brandon Bridge and James Franklin have lower quarterback efficiencies as of right now than Matt Nichols. He's 8th out of 10 there. So Brandon Bridge is the backup quarterback in Saskatchewan. James Franklin has been otherwise... MIA. That's right. There you go. And lastly, I looked at average yards per pass, okay, which may be a reflection of the offense he's running, the scheme he's running, you know, or him not thinking he can make throws or him not thinking guys are open and and checking down or or going to higher percentage passes in short and medium areas. Uh, Only, once again, James Franklin, Brandon Bridge, and Chris Streveler who has been very, very part... I mean, it says on the thing that Chris Strebler's played in seven games, but as we know, he certainly hasn't started seven games. Mm-hmm. But So he would be at 7.5 yards per pass. Uh, that's his average per pass. That puts him at seventh or eighth out of those 10 players as well. So what that last statistics uh, tell me, Doug, is the fact that both Strebler and Nichols, when they are in the lineup for the Blue Bombers, are throwing shorter passes. And yeah. I think the eye test... If you're a fan or an observer or like you are a professional commentator on this sort of thing, that would that you could verify that. That makes sense, right? When you see that number, that matches up. So then when you cite those other numbers, why does it surprise you or does it surprise you that the fans are clamoring to see somebody else behind center for the Winnipeg Blue I don't think it surprises you at all. I don't don't think it's, uh, you know, I don't think they're often left field when people are upset, when people were booing, when people were questioning, you know, why Strebler doesn't get a larger opportunity, why he doesn't get to stay in the game, why, you know, Nichols is still out there, why people are inferring things off of, you know, comments or taking things out of context. The baseline statistics here tell you that he's not have. I mean, some of the identities of this offense was always, you know, how safe they are with the football, right? So that interception percent, that's an eye opener. The number of interceptions he has so far this year, uncharacteristic for him. Um, His accuracy, always been higher than this, uncharacteristic for him. His QB efficiency rating has always been much higher than this. So you put together this body of work, you're like, what does all this mean? To me, it means I don't think he's 100%. That's all it tells me. I don't think the guy is is falling off and I don't think he's not a good quarterback anymore. I think he's still, you know, the only thing that makes sense to me is that he's you know, the injury he had in training camp, he's not fully recovered from. That's going to be my guess. If you add all these things together, that is the answer I come up with. So lots of mysteries, but maybe Doug has Sherlock Holmes it for us and he solved the mystery. Maybe Matt Nichols is not 100% healthy. We know Mike O'Shea. I'm going to hearken back to the very last game that Drew Willie started as a Winnipeg Blue Bomber. And Doug... You were a big part of the conversation. You pushed 
head coach Mike O'Shea of the Blue Bombers really hard and asking him, was there any part of you that thought about putting Matt Nichols in to start the second half of the last game that Drew Willie started as a Winnipeg Blue Bomber? Do you remember this, Doug Brown? No. Well, you got a lot, you got a lot of pushback. Drew Willie really seemed to struggle for uh, for some extended stretches and periods of time in that, in that game. Were you ever seriously contemplating giving him a, a, a different perspective by allowing Nichols to take over for a few series? I'm not sure, I'm not sure which quarterback, uh, you know, in, in football would be, would not struggle when they're behind the sticks all the time. We didn't, you know, we took a ton of holding penalties. We were backed up first and 20 a bunch of times. Um, screen game didn't necessarily work. Well, you know, the perimeter screen game didn't work very well. Um, we got stuffed up on some runs. I mean, it's, I don't, you know, I don't know who you're going to put back there that's going to survive that. Yeah. So you didn't feel the, the inconsistency of the offense was the problem of quarterbacking, Mike. Is that what you're saying? Uh, no, I don't. We know that coaches lie to the media. On the I, daily. I guarantee that was a lie. If we asked Coach O'Shea the question about Chris Trevler, I don't think we could take his answer at face value. If you were Mike O'Shea, would you be pondering the possibility of putting Chris Streveler in as starter on Labor Day, or at the very least, pondering the possibility of putting him in for Matt Nichols on a short leash, as we might say? Yeah, I think I'm going to give. I think you give Matt Nichols the benefit of the doubt for sure. Labor Day Classic. I, I think he's shown an ability previously over the years he's been here. Uh, he's bounced back. You know, he's a guy that takes things personally, that has a chip on his shoulder, that hears the things that are said and spoken about him, feels disrespected, but it's a motivating tool for him. It's a performing tool for this him. This sounds like a replay of what you said last yeah, week, well, You know what? I still have an expectation that he's going to dial it in. And, and you know, I, I don't think the two years, the body of work we've seen over the last two years, I don't think that has completely escaped him. I do think he's injured to a point, but I still think he can play better. I think this entire offense can rally around him and put together an inspired performance. Now, if they get beat down in Regina like they did against Calgary, like they did against Ottawa, you know, we're already seeing Strebler back in the offense with a package, right? He's not just coming in now on on short yardage plays or giving him an opportunity. They have a handful of plays or letting him run, so on. He threw a touchdown pass, uh, as we know, right? So uh, Well, he was one for one for 65 yeah, yards, yeah, yeah, and... Do you want to talk about quarterback efficiency rating? My and God. he was the team Team's leading rusher. He had more yeah. rushing yards than Andrew Harris. I mean, this offense is struggling all around. Let's be honest about it. And I don't want to interrupt you here because that's not really what I'm supposed to do. But I'm going to tell you this, Doug. We're 11 minutes into this discussion, and people are going to be screaming right now, guys, they gave up 39 points. Bo Levi Mitchell threw for a career best yardage uh, statistic. Kamel Jordan. Over 200 yards receiving. Guys, the problem isn't with the offense. It's with the defense. What says Doug Brown? I think it's a combination, for sure, of both. Um, I think the defense was hanging in there very nicely and very well against Calgary Stampeders for almost three quarters. And then you can only have so many fingers on the dam before the whole thing just caves down on top of you and everybody drowns. That's kind of what happened. But it was a fundamental issue for me defensively in the sense that a guy like Kamar Jordan, he just, he you know, they can't run with him. 
You know, he's he's too fast. It was he, like a Madden video game. It's it's unbelievable. And when you have a team that gets kind of strung out, like the defense was, they're holding on, they're holding on, they're holding on. Believe me, I've been in those scenarios before. You're waiting for a response from your offense. You're waiting for them to put together a five-minute drive, score some points, inject some life back into you. And, uh, you know, that just wasn't happening. They weren't playing complimentary football. They weren't getting a response offensively other than initially what happened, you know. All this, I mean, it's fantastic game planning, what they did, how they got on the board early, how they got to a fast start, but they didn't have anything else. And Calgary had another gear. Winnipeg didn't have another gear to shift into. And I think the defense gets exposed. I'm not saying, hey, they're great and there are defenses. If you're going to be a dominant defense in a, in a league, it doesn't matter how much you're out on the football field. You just take care of your business, period. You're superior to your opponent, everything from your technique, your skill, and your conditioning, right? You don't get worn out. You don't get exposed. It just doesn't happen if you're dominant. So I don't think they're there. They've obviously taken a step back the last couple of weeks, but I think they, they're a much better football team if they're playing complementary ball, if the offense is is firing on cylinders, moving the football, um, not just scoring points in certain segments, right? If they're spreading it out or at least being productive throughout the entire game, I think that's a different defense uh, that, that you're seeing back you up there. So it's, uh, believe me, like I say, when you're losing, plenty of blame to go around. But another thing that jumped off the page for me in that Calgary game, not just you know, the difficulties of, of these receivers and how fast they were and how, how great they were coming in and out of their breaks. For me, it was the tackling uh, by the Calgary defenders that gave the offense of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers huge fits. As we've noted by looking at these average per passes of Strebler and Nichols, it's not like the Winnipeg Blue Bomber offense is a huge vertical passing game. It's all short to medium stuff. It's all safe stuff. It's all checked. Uh, the most effective play over the last three years, I would say, is to check down Andrew Harris in the flat. And you know why? Because he makes people miss. Because the first guy's never going to get him. Because when Andrew Harris is in space or Nick Dempsey's in space, the first guy doesn't tackle him. Well, against Calgary, guess what? First guy there made the tackle. No yards after the catch. No yards after contact. These guys were hemmed up. I've never seen a team tackle as well as I saw the defense of the Calgary Stampeders. I think that's what nullified the Winnipeg Blue Bomber offense more than anything. They're a short to intermediate passing game. They're very conservative. They don't go downfield a lot. When they had opportunities, it was underthrown. And uh, a lot of teams are ganging up and taking away Andrew Harris. But the tackling by Calgary, superb. To me, that's the biggest reason why this offense wasn't able to get any traction after the first half. All right, let's take a little bit of a pause here and then we'll uh, come back and set up Labor Day against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders because uh, it doesn't get any easier for the Blue Bombers. This is the Blue Bomber Podcast. Everything you need to know about your Winnipeg Blue Bombers brought to you by a CFL Hall of Fame player. The Blue Bomber Podcast with Doug Brown. Subscribe now in iTunes. So, Doug, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, we know all about the rivalry between these two teams, and we'll discuss that just a little bit to wrap things up here. Saskatchewan and Winnipeg don't like one another on the best of days. The Blue Bombers now lost two games in a row. Saskatchewan's on a roll. They've won three in a row, if I'm not mistaken. And they are going to be looking to keep things going at home in front of their raucous crowd at Mosaic Stadium. Let's be honest about it. As much as we know the Blue Bomber fans are the loudest in the CFL, the Saskatchewan fans are the most loyal. They are possibly the craziest fans in any sport in North America. 
What do the Blue Bombers need to do to quiet down the crowd? I know the cliche answer is going to be score early, score often. Is that really the only thing the Bombers can do? You know, for me, last 20 years, if you play for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, first thing you do when you get your regular season schedule is you find out when you're playing two teams. Calgary in Calgary, you're probably going to lose that. Statistics say you're going to lose that game. The other game you look at, the second hardest game is the Labor Day game in, in Saskatchewan. And it doesn't matter how good Saskatchewan is. Now, this year, uh, they're they're better than they've been in, in uh, well, they haven't been. They've been quite up and down. They've been a roller coaster. But in the last couple of years, Winnipeg had, had has had some success at Labor Day Classic. So, But those two are jump off the page in terms of the games that you're like, okay, these ones are tough ones. If you're forecasting a schedule, you don't necessarily always give yourself a W on those two dates. But going into the Labor Day Classic, it's, I mean, that's the belly of the beast. That is the most hostility you will ever experience or feel as a player, uh, as a visiting player going to uh, uh, into en- enemy territory there. So, the big thing, I think, uh, is not try and, and, and get the crowd out. You just try to feed off of that animosity. You try to build off of that. You try to let that fuel you, right? You're, you're like, wow, look at this environment. What is the opportunity to play spoiler here? What is the opportunity to send all these people and all these fans home and ruin the hell out of their next couple days? That is what motivates you as a player going in there because, you know, I always call it, it's a six-point game, right? Two points for winning. You take away two points from your opponent, and then you get two points because you get to smack talk Saskatchewan for the rest of the year, right? So it's a six-point game. doesn't get any bigger than that. But, yeah, for me, it's all about feeding off of all that emotion and energy that's there. Who cares if it's negative, right? It's your opportunity to be a spoiler, to to flip the script on those guys and uh, have them lose in front of uh, a sold-out, packed, crazy house. You know, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, their entire mindset has been predicated win, lose, or draw. They don't dwell on wins. They don't dwell on losses. They move forward, right? That's We've heard this a thousand times. So you that's got to that? be... You believe that? I never. I mean, I always filter everything I hear that comes from... Because I was one of them, right? Yeah, so so how, long, how long are you carrying this Calgary loss? I, honestly, I think by now you're, you're beyond it, right? The only thing that... The only remnants, the only residue, us right now. That's it. We're the only people still hemming and hawing about it. Um, I think as a player, you just recognize recognize you have a big loss like that you recognize the opportunity a huge win i mean honestly all these problems go away they just dissipate into the air if you go in and you beat saskatchewan in their barn huge game and a lot of times liberty classic the games you know they've played in previously they're not always critical this is critical now for positioning and everything in the western division a lot of times one of the teams in the liberty classic is terrible right and you're just surprised at how that team's able to elevate their play in that environment but this game this game's super important. Obviously, we call it the six-point game, but they play each other three times. Whoever steals this one, you, you get the leg up kind of thing. And uh, it's just it's critical for the standings. It's critical for momentum. Uh, Saskatchewan wants to keep rolling. They think they've turned the corner. And Winnipeg needs to get out of this descent that they're on right now. And nothing would lift their spirits higher and or get everybody off their back than beating Saskatchewan in Labor Day Classic. So, Doug, both teams with 10 points. Saskatchewan, 5-4. and four. The Blue Bombers, 5-5. Five and five. In baseball, it would be like a one-game lead in the standings. This rivalry goes far beyond football. Am I right? I mean, economically, in terms of geography, we kind of like each other. We don't really like each other when you get right down to it. Yeah, 
it's just it's a it's a street fight against your stepbrother. That's the best way I can. Your family, you're not related necessarily, but you're living in kind of close confines. And those family fights, man, those are messed up, right? Like that's why it's personal. It's in your face. They're always there. It's the presence. It's just things that annoy you that build up over time. It's just super personal when it's that close. Family battles are way worse than two strangers out on the street. So this is as uh, down and dirty as it gets as they go into the belly of the beast. So looking forward to seeing uh, if the Bombers can turn around and just how good these Saskatchewan Rough Riders are. I used to sit on the east side at times of uh, Winnipeg Stadium and the fans in those first handful of rows could really give it to the other team. Did you ever get into it with the fans in Saskatchewan at Taylor Field? Yeah, no, I think only one time I was down there where I wasn't playing. So uh, in, in that instance, I popped somebody's beach ball that had come down on the sideline, and this lady was livid. I was like, like, that beach ball apparently had been passed down from generation to generation or something. Like That was a family heirloom because some sort of generational artifact. So I popped that thing with my keys I had in my pocket. I was in my street clothes, and she lost her mind up in the stands. I was like, my goodness. You know, go back to the dollar store and get another one. But she really liked that beach ball. Somebody was upset. But it's, uh, you know, it's it's something special. It's a unique atmosphere and environment. And it's a huge credit to your football team if you can go in there and be successful and execute and just rise above all that animosity and that noise and that uh, negativity that, that rains down on you. Some of the players on both teams, on either side of this battle, will have only been on the respective roster of the Blue Bombers, the Rough Riders, maybe since June. Do they know by now how important this game is? Have they been educated by the other players on the team about what this is like? I mean, let's not kid ourselves. Most of the players on either team have played before 70, 80, 90, 100,000 people in college games in the United States. So it's not like it's anything brand new. But have they been filled in? Have they been brought up to speed by their teammates about what this team or what this game means for the, the fans of each of these teams? I think you clue in automatically when you're at at your home barn in practice and they start blaring that white noise or crowd cheering, whatever it is they're pumping through the, the audio system at Investors Group Field. You figure out in a hurry, oh, why are we doing this exactly? Because you won't be able to hear yourself think if things are going reasonably well for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders on Sunday you know nothing your voices in your head are drowned out by by the the decibels that rain down upon you so it's just uh i think the guys the word spreads really really quickly that if you don't know what you're in for you know just be prepared for it it's an eye opener for those guys but uh you know you know you're on a good team if you can successfully navigate that were you a trash talker what were you a trash talker? No, man. I was always too tired to talk any trash man because you left it out on the field play because every I was single always play winded that's why there you go I had better things to concern myself than trying to come up with some quick quirk or something to uh, belittle the guy I was going. Plus, you don't want guy. I mean, some guys, wow, they're hypersensitive. The offensive linemen are hypersensitive, right? Really? So, you know, as a defensive lineman, you're going to be exposed in a game at some point. You don't want some guy, you know, purposely taking a shot at you and, and putting you out um, because you talked about his sister or something like that, right? So you just you let your play do the talking, Greg Mackley, okay? 
That's my advice to you going forward. Let your play do the talking. Well, the play here is wordplay. Doug Brown, no one's better at it. It is the Blue Bomber podcast. We'll catch up with you as we head towards the Banjo Bowl. It's the Bombers and the Rough Riders this weekend. I wanted to say at Taylor Field. Man, that was a dump. Uh, Mosaic Stadium in Regina. Bob and Doug will have all the coverage for you here on 680 CJOB. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing. And of course, thanks for subscribing to the Blue Bomber podcast. The Blue Bomber Podcast with Doug Brown. That is, wow, that's fantastic. I like that. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at CJOB.com. 